And she told me the same thing. <laughs> Don't let him clap or dance or even tap his foot. It is a blessing to be here with you today. It is a blessing to be able to worship with you and to be able to get to know your, your pastor. Uh, I have been blessed just by getting to work with him on so many uh, different things that we have done here as interfaith uh, in the community. And I see Lady Carlson right over here, uh, and, and Lady leads us in so many different directions. Directions that matter, directions that uh, are needed here in the Shreveport Bossier community in North Louisiana, but also in the things that relate to us as a state as well. And so we come together as pastors and as churches, as organizations, as institutions, and we work together for the common good. We find out what the issues are that our church members, our congregations are dealing with, and we work to address them. And I have seen your pastor, Dr. Dobines, uh, work with a fervent heart uh, to work. He described me as tenacious, but I can't hold a candle to his tenacity. And uh, as he invited me to come and speak today, first of all, I thought he was crazy. I said, uh, have, have you heard me preach? Um, because uh, I, uh, I've been preaching about 20 years, but I cannot hold a candle to him. And uh, the things that, that he is able to do and to say, and especially on this weekend, Martin Luther King weekend and this beloved community Sunday, uh, just knowing that he has not just dabbled a little bit in King's readings, in his sermons and in his writings, but he has a Ph.D. in Martin Luther King studies. And so I'm a bit intimidated to be here today. Uh, but I am blessed to be here, and this is, this is a wonderful time. Maybe you heard the story about Marvin. Marvin was in the hospital on his deathbed, and so the, the family, Marvin's family, called the preacher. The preacher came to the hospital. He heard that Marvin was not doing well, and he walked up to the bed to get close because Marvin, he just couldn't even get any words out of his mouth, and he motioned to uh, Marvin or just to somebody around or to the pastor to, to write down something. He wanted to say something. And so he begins to write. And as the pastor is leaning in and, and trying to pray for him and help him, just in the last moment, he hands that piece of paper to the pastor. And the pastor sees that the breath is going out of his body. and He puts it down inside of his coat pocket. And he thinks this is not a good time to read this. I need to pray and I need to be here for the family. And so they were able to pray over Marvin that day and to release him to God and to, to pray for his family. A few days later, as they were doing the service and as they were gathering around as a family and as a congregation, the pastor was preaching his sermon and he was preaching about how Marvin had lived his life. Then he remembered that he had taken that piece of paper. He was wearing the same coat and he reached deep down into his pocket and, and began to pull it out. And as he was pulling it out, he said, I almost forgot that Marvin left me with something to say. And we know Marvin and we know that Marvin had something very inspirational to say to us. And so he begins to open it and, and to read it. And his eyes got really big as he was starting to read because it said, hey, you were standing on my oxygen tube. 
which is a great reminder that preachers get in the way sometimes, don't they? I mean, not your preacher. But we preachers sometimes get in the way. What I would like to do right now is to pray that I would not be in the way of what God wants to say to you today. That I would not be standing in the way of what God has intended to do in your life since the day you were born, even before you were born. That God's Word would be fully released. So let's go to Him in prayer. Lord God, we give You thanks for allowing us to gather here today. We thank You that You are a God who comes and dwells with us. You are a God who left heaven and descended into our world and took on human flesh. And not only did You take on human flesh, You took on our suffering and our pain. You took on our challenges. And in that human flesh, You brought hope to the world. You brought real and lasting peace. You came as the Beloved. Help us to hear from You today as we hear from Your Word. Help our spirits to be open to the things that You would have to say and the the things that You would have us to do. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. How many of you are fans of the Olympics? Anybody? Now, the Summer Olympics are always more popular, or at least it seems like they are. They certainly are with me, but I love the Winter Olympics as well. I like to watch the uh, bobsled races and uh, the downhill skiing as, as they uh, you know, launch off that huge ramp and go flying into the sky. Uh, I'm not so big on figure skating, okay? Uh, I I see that on the commercials, that's something that they keep advertising, but I cannot ice skate at all. My ankles just buckle and I I just am am just completely not into that. And I'm not into that curling event. Are you familiar with it? We've got a a curling uh, fan back here. They take a piece of ice and a broom or something and try to scoot it down and uh, I just, I don't get it. But it's always inspiring to hear the the stories about the Olympics. In fact, there was a great one this past week about two sisters. Uh, I believe they were twin sisters. And one of them qualified. There there was only one place on the Olympic team. Only one of them qualified. They both competed, just competed with everything they had. But only one made it. And that sister gave up her place so that the other sister could compete. What an amazing story. These athletes are inspirational. And as we look at their stories and see the things that they've done, it always goes back to this burning passion that they have inside of them. Whether it's to ski or whether it's to run or whether it's to throw a shot put, whatever it is, they have a dream about doing something in the Olympics. And they grow up with that dream. If you interview them and talk to them, this is something they've always wanted to do. And as they begin with that dream, they start working at it. They start dedicating their lives and their attention. They have to say no to their friends and no to their hobbies and no to everything else that everybody else is doing. And they have to give their day to daily practice and working and being disciplined to be able to compete, to be able to fulfill their dream. And then it's always a great thing when they do, isn't it? When they're able to compete and they're willing to to do whatever it takes to overcome whatever obstacle 
whatever agony and whatever pain comes in their lives, they're able to overcome it and complete the race or complete the event and receive the reward that is there for them in that medal. But as we look at their lives, we realize it doesn't just happen, does it? They just don't wake up and show up at the Olympics. There is work that goes in to that dream. As we gather here this morning, on this weekend, this Martin Luther King weekend, with so many things that are going on today as well as throughout the week, we remember that there was a dream, wasn't there? We remember that there was someone who had a burning passion inside of him to do something very different with the world. As he had this dream, it was about this beloved community. This community that looks a lot like who we are here today. As people from different races and different backgrounds and different religions and and just with all of their diversity would come together and live as brothers and sisters. To to live as children of God. To bring justice where there is injustice. and, And to come in with grace where there has been nothing but legalism and and to bring care and kindness where there's been only suffering and oppression. And as he dreamed about this, he began to step out with discipline and to gather a community of people and and to be able to cast vision much as he did in Evergreen Baptist Church and at Galilee and Little Union and and other places here in Shreveport. To begin to cast a vision for what that would look like. But as we look at his life, as we look at the lives of others, maybe some of you who are here today, you recognize that that didn't just happen. You didn't just wake up one day and be able to sit at the front of the bus. Civil rights didn't just happen one day. People weren't able to, to walk into the front of a restaurant just one day. It didn't just happen. It took work. And we realize that it is not over. That this dream that that King had is not over. And I don't think that he thought it would be over anytime soon. He knew that it was going to take work. It was going to take discipline. And we want that to continue, don't we? As we look at our community, we see that we still have racism. We still have hatred. We still have violence that's taking place in our community. In fact... We are one of the most violent communities in Louisiana, if not the nation. And we see that our state is filled with violence. Violence that is fueled by hatred. And so we recognize there are still problems. We recognize that there is still a great divide between the rich and the poor. Right here in Shreveport. We recognize that there are disparities with our education system. We recognize that, yes, even though... uh, we have been able to desegregate. We have not integrated in our community and in our schools. We recognize that we have so many challenges. Did you know that, uh, there, uh, that, that Louisiana is the number one state for incarceration? That we lead in incarcerations? About 76% of those in prisons are black. And then you start to figure the percentage of those who have no business even being there. 
And so we recognize that there are real problems in our community. We recognize that religious people can't agree with one another. We recognize that there are problems in families that we can't love one another as we're supposed to love one another. So this dream of beloved community is something that stands before us. It, it is there for us to be able to do something with today. And we are the ones in the arena of competition today, aren't we? You and I, those of us who are here, we are ones who can do something about it. Well, how do we do that? How in the world can we do it? It's easier just to sit back and talk about it this weekend. It's easier just to say, well, he was a great man. And the people who fought for civil rights, who were willing to be hosed down and to have dogs jump on them and attack them, to be shunned and, and uh, kept from, from living their lives as God intended. As we think about those things, we could just say, well, it's just easier to go along. Or it's not time. It's not really time to do what we need to do. Just wait, there'll be a better time. As Dr. King said, justice uh, delayed is justice denied. We have some challenges before us, but we have a community, uh, an example that we can find that is not something we can build in the future necessarily. It it is something that we can find in, in the scripture. It's something that is in our past that I think will help us today as we build a beloved community. As we continue and progress with the work that Dr. King has given us as a legacy here today. And it comes from the early church. It comes from the followers of Jesus Christ who walked with Him and talked with Him and spent time with Him and ultimately saw Him hanging on a cross. Ultimately saw Him coming up out of that tomb as the risen Savior. Let's look at their words. If you have a Bible, look at Acts chapter 2. These are words that you are familiar with. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. Luke is writing these words. He is reporting about things that were happening. His eyes were just uh, so enlarged by what he was seeing around him. It was just an amazing sight. And we can look at the beginning of Acts and see how incredible things were taking place as the Holy Spirit was given. I love the way that y'all open the doors to welcome the Holy Spirit. That's something we need to do every day. Or at least I know that's something I need to do every day. This is what Luke says. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. That's the fellowship that was mentioned earlier. And I'm going to remember that. Uh, Two fellows on a ship. That's a good way to think about it. But that word koinonia means they held everything in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
As we look at this community, we recognize that they weren't a perfect community. Anytime a preacher says, we need to be more like the early New Testament church, look out. <laughs> uh, as, you, as you see throughout Acts and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, if you just look throughout the Scriptures, you'll see they weren't perfect. But they had grace. The grace upon grace of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that would keep them going. But there were things that they did that were awfully right. And we can see that here in our our text today. Just in these few verses, we can find inspiration for helping us today to live as beloved community. The first thing that we see that uh, Luke describes for us is that it is a place where impossible things became possible. It says here, Luke says, awe came upon everyone. When was the last time you had awe come upon you? Maybe it was watching the Dallas Cowboys. Not much awe this year. I know it wasn't from watching Alabama. (laughs) Okay, all right. You'll get me back, I know. But awe, awe was something that they all had as they looked around and saw what God was doing. There were persons, and and you find all these descriptions in Acts 1 about Parthians and Medes and all of these people who had come from all of these different places. They had gathered there for the festival of Pentecost. And as they were there, they found something very different from the giving of the law. It was the giving of the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit was given to them, they began communicating with one another in in ways where they could understand one another. They began to feel the presence of God in their very midst. They heard a wind blowing through the room that they were in. and, And they felt things begin to shake. Wonders and signs were taking place. I have a a feeling here, Luke doesn't go into great description, but there was justice that was being talked about and being done in their midst as they recognized that foreigners really didn't have a place in their system. As they recognized that there was an oppressive Roman government that was always looking out to get them. And as they began to do this Discussion. I'm sure that reconciliation began to take place. I'm sure that they began to see the, the worth of others in their group. They began to progress as the community. In fact, we are here today because they came together in that way, aren't we? The church could have died out if they had just done things the way that they thought they could be done. But they saw that there was something else God wanted to do. That God had a dream for a community of people, of all different kinds of people, to come come together as one. And this is what they began to do. Rich Nathan, in his book, Both And, writes that God is no respecter of persons, especially when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. For an example from recent church history, He says, consider the beginning of the Pentecostal movement at the turn of the 20th century. In the decade prior to 1906, lynchings of African Americans in America had skyrocketed. It is estimated that well over 1,000 blacks, mainly men, were lynched, hanged, shot, or sometimes buried alive. Right here in the United States... Not that long ago. 
Millions of people, he says, in the United States were joining the Ku Klux Klan. In 1906, the Spirit of God was poured out in a powerful revival in Los Angeles that has come to be known as the Azusa Street Revival. Under the leadership of an African-American man, William Seymour, tens of thousands of people from all over the world and all walks of life, rich, poor, men, women, Americans, non-Americans, black, white, Asians, Latino, all of them came by car and by horse, by buggy. Some came by train and some by boat. They all encountered what was going on there. They encountered the Spirit. In a year of lynchings, blacks and whites were embracing each other as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Frank Bartleman, a historian of the Azusa Street Revival, said this, The color line is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. The color line is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a mark of the beloved community, isn't it? Isn't that what Dr. King was talking about? Where we begin to live in a mutuality of existence and we begin to depend on one another and we begin to see that we are the people of God. And when we do that, signs and wonders will take place. The fact that we can come together with our differences is in itself a sign and wonder. And as we recognize that about us today, as we begin to think about the church of today or the beloved community of today, we recognize when we come together, amazing things will happen. We can see that that's already happened as people came together, uh, as justice began to take place, as laws were passed, as schools were desegregated as uh, voter fraud or the problems at uh, voter registration sites and different things that were going on right here in our own community. As some of those wrongs were righted, we saw that there were some amazing things take place. That was talked about when President Obama was elected into office. That was a sign and a wonder that uh, a, a black man would become president of the United States. And it was something that we all celebrated. Well... I think most of us celebrate a sign and a wonder. God is up to something. Dr. King's dream is continuing. Those are things that we talked about. But that has to continue. Signs and wonders will come just like Olympic victories will come when we work to that end. And so that's the second thing we see about the beloved community. It's a place where no pain is no gain. You hear me? No pain is no gain. If we're not working at it, if we're not feeling some pain, if we're not getting tired and frustrated, then things aren't happening, are they? Maybe that's the problem with the church of today. We're a little bit too comfortable. We've been willing to let other people do our work for us. As the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 11, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Those witnesses are cheering us on. I think Dr. King and and others are are gathered there on a weekend like this saying, go get them. You've got work to do. You've been doing good work. Keep it up. But I think they're also saying, there's more to do. Don't stop. 
Keep fighting. Keep working. Keep planning. Keep thinking. Keep dreaming. It's intentional. And that's what the church was doing. The early church, if you back up to verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to all of these things. They devoted themselves. It was intentional work. They devoted themselves to the, the, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the hearing of Scripture. They devoted themselves to getting uh, together with each other in their homes. They broke bread together in their homes. They shared communion and relationships in their homes every day. And then they gathered together in the temple. They were devoting themselves to sharing their lives with one another. They devoted themselves to loving one another. And by the way, the the word that's used here is, is a word that means so much more than friendship. It is that word agape. It is the the self-sacrificing, lay down your life kind of love that is being described here in this text. They loved one another with the kind of love that says, you go first. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to do whatever is necessary to lift you up. And they worked at it. And this is what we need to do as well, isn't it? Dr. King said in 1968, I'm sorry, not 1968, uh, in 1962, we have moved into an era where we are called upon to raise certain basic questions about the whole society. We are still called upon to give aid to the beggar who finds himself in misery and agony on life's highway. But one day, we must ask the question of whether an edifice which produces beggars must not be restructured and refurbished. It's not enough for us to just give handouts. It's not enough for us just to put a band-aid on a wound. King says we must go beyond that and restructure and refurbish and look at the system and say what can we do to change the system? Why is it that these problems exist? And let us not settle for them being problems in our community. If we have homelessness, why can't we solve that? We have people who are hungry in our community, why can't we solve it? We have violence and and, uh, problems with drugs and all kinds of things that revolve around that. Why can't we change that? Why can't we say enough is enough? And come up with a plan. There is a book called The Power of Habit, and uh, Charles uh, Duhigg wrote this book, and in one of the chapters, he talks about the uh, social movement of habits and the things that take place, and he described um, the uh, Montgomery bus boycott, and as he goes into this, he says the tipping point for civil rights in America was the bus boycott, people giving each other rides, sacrificing for one another for the sake of the movement. He says movements don't emerge because everyone suddenly decides to face the same direction at once. They rely on social patterns that begin as the habits of friendship, grow through the habits of communities, and are sustained by new habits that change participants' sense of self. A movement starts because of the social habits of friendship. And the strong ties between close acquaintances. The Montgomery bus bus boycott became a society-wide action, he says, because the sense of obligation that held the black community together 
It was activated soon after Park's friends started spreading the word. When Park's friends heard what was going on and what had happened to her, they started talking about it. The phones were ringing. The conversations were going on. That's how you start a movement, isn't it? (laughs) It had started among Park's close friends, but it drew its power, King and other participants later said, because of a sense of obligation among the community, the social habits of weak ties. The community was pressured to stand together for fear that anyone who didn't participate wasn't someone you wanted to be friends with in the first place. That is the accountability of the beloved community. That says, if you're not going to stand with us, then you stand against us. If you're not going to move with us, if you're not going to be intentional about the things that need to happen, then we need to have a conversation. And that is the way things get done in this world, is when we pull together. That is God's dream for the kingdom of God, isn't it? Jesus could have done a lot of things by Himself. But for whatever reason, and we'll find out when we get to heaven and have all of our other questions answered, I guess. God, why did you pick 12 squirrely people to start your church? Why did you depend upon a group? Why couldn't you just do it by yourself? Because God understands community. We understand the community aspect of God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, modeling for us this Trinitarian sense of community or tri-unity of God. God models for us how it is to be done. And so as we recognize the significance of a beloved community, we recognize that we need to be intentional. We need to be devoting ourselves to some things, the same things they did. The first one of those is sharing. Sharing our lives with one another. Sharing our resources with one another. Maybe one of the reasons, just one, of the reasons we have such a terrible insurance system in America is because we don't take care of each other enough, right? There's some churches that have experimented with this. If you have a need, then your brother or your sister should be there to help you. And when they have a need, you should be there to help your brother and sister. Why aren't we looking out for each other? And I'm not just talking about within our churches, but within our community. Why are we not stepping up to say, how can we come up with a system where we can share with one another with what God has given us? Recognizing the loaf of bread I have doesn't belong to me if my brother doesn't have any bread. I break that bread, I share it with my brother, my sister. We share our resources, we share our gifts, we share our lives, we share our common experiences, we share our uncommon experiences. We are seeing this take place with something we began at, at our, our church and with some other churches right around us at the Highland Center, as we saw there was a real need for uh, providing food for what demographic, uh, demographics would describe as uh, the working poor. And as we looked in our community, we saw there were single moms and single dads and single grandmoms and single granddads and others who uh, were not able to provide everything the child needed. And, and so we started this meal, and it happened with, we brought, uh, it was uh, the Cathedral of St. John Catholic Church, 
uh, Church for the Highlands, which is a cooperative Baptist church, and, and we're, the, we're the Jimmy Carter version of Baptist, okay? Okay. Uh, and uh, then the, uh, we had uh, the Knoll United Methodist Church, uh, Kings Highway Christian Church, and uh, then First Presbyterian Church, and then another church that, that came into the mix, and, and there are probably 10 or, 10 or so others, uh, All Souls Unitarian and the Greek Orthodox Church. We started to sit around the table and say, what can we do together? As I looked around, I thought, the fact that we are sitting here together is a sign and wonder from God. And then, people were uh, talking about putting money into the pot to say, we, we need to come up with a sustainable model to make this happen. And so we just started uh, putting, each church putting money into the pot. Uh, we started providing a meal with real tablecloth, real silverware, flowers on the tables, and round tables so that we could develop relationships, a little mini beloved community to where people could come together and eat and share information and talk and build relationships. But it was amazing to see how that community was coming together, particularly Roman Catholics and Greek Orthodox who historically haven't even been able to come together to say, yes, you exist, or no, you exist. The same thing with Baptists and Methodists and uh, Episcopal Church. And then you throw in Mormons and Unitarians and Muslims. We've got everybody. And we've never had one problem. We've never had one particular group saying to the other, you don't count or I can't serve with you. We serve together because we are doing what God has called us to do as the beloved community. We work together for the common good. We share. We also love. We are to love each other with self-sacrificing love. How's that going? That begins with our families, doesn't it? To where we are loving e- <laughs> That was my wife. I guess I've got some work to do when I get home. We look at each other with the eyes of Christ. And we look at each other when, and we recognize we're not perfect. We have faults. We have problems. We have challenges. But we are to love one another. This is what Jesus said would make us different from the world. And we are to put the love in that beloved community. When Jesus was baptized and he walked, uh, before he walked on the other side of the Jordan River, he heard the voice of God saying, this is my what? He's my beloved son. And he walked out and began a beloved community. A community that would embody his love and become the body of Christ in this world. We need to love one another in our community. What does that look like? What does it look like within this church? What does it look like within Allendale? What does it look like within Shreveport? How does that love get expressed in our city government? How does it get expressed when hatred seems to be getting bigger and bigger and growing in significance? How do we bring love up? How do we do that? Well, we need to be talking about it. That's the part of the dream that we need to put feet to. But it is also a matter of reconciliation. I grew up in a church where, and I grew up in East Texas, um, but I grew up in a larger church there where we were um, 
talking about racial reconciliation because there were churches, not my church necessarily, but in, in other uh, churches where uh, if, if you were a, a black man coming to the church, you would not be allowed in the church. You, you would be seen at the door by a deacon who would say, you're not welcome here. And as our Sunday school teachers and our youth ministers and our pastor began to, uh, to talk about these things, we started to experiment, do different things where we would trade out. We would uh, go over to a church in the black community in Tyler and they would come over to our church and we would do activities with them and we would begin to learn one another and we would talk about reconciliation. But that doesn't mean it happened. Because there's always work to do there. And it doesn't mean that we understand each other, even if we use that word. We need to dig deeper into that to say, I, I need to understand where you're coming from. And you need to understand where I'm coming from. And we need to talk about these things. And I, I need to recognize where I have, have harmed you and sinned against you. And, and you need to do the same. We come together recognizing our differences and reconcile. And there's a whole lot more of that on the side of the white community than there is on the black community. And that's something we need to see more of in our community. You can't just sweep things under the carpet because they keep coming up, don't they? But we also need to have inclusion. That's what they did. They included people from all different categories and all different places. Uh, Pastor, I guess I better stop here in a minute. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> they included each other. And, and this is something we saw just in this past week uh, with the Fairness Ordinance City Council. Uh, actually, back on December 10th, the City Council voted that uh, no one should be discriminated against, that you could be able to live in an apartment or uh, you could keep your job uh, and, and you could continue to have rights that everybody else had. And just because of your color or just because of your sexual orientation or whatever difference you had, you should not be discriminated against. A city councilman uh, wanted to repeal that, didn't believe that that was uh, something we ought to do as a city. And so this past uh, Wednesday, I believe, there was uh, another vote on that. And it was encouraging to hear person after person representing different races, different colors, different churches, different backgrounds, standing up to say, we need to be fair in our city And we should not legalize discrimination of any kind. We have differences, but that's okay. We love one another. We move forward together. Well, finally, the thing that happened in their community. And as we look at the beloved community, we see it's a place where people want to be. It says that every day their number was growing. God was adding to their number daily. And it wasn't just because they had a good potluck. It wasn't because they had great praise and worship. It wasn't because of the preaching. It was because the presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of that group. It's because they were devoting themselves to beloved community. And it was happening. And they wanted to be there. Tertullian was writing about Uh, the Christians in his community. And he was writing about what the Romans were saying about the Christians, which wasn't always real positive. But he said, see how they love one another? Yeah, yeah, they they worship uh, uh, 
a risen Savior and they, they believe in life after death and they, they live by a different moral code than everybody else. But, but see how they love one another? Because they understood in their Roman society that if somebody was sick, you didn't touch their body. You just left them. And they would just leave family members and friends in the street to die. But they saw that the Christians were going to others in their group and even outside of their group, and they were touching their bodies. They were praying for them. They were trying to provide for their healing. And so they were remarkable in what they were doing for one another. The same thing happens with us, doesn't it? When we love each other and we seek to live out the beloved community with whatever plans we come up with to do that in days ahead, then we understand people will want to be there. People will be beating down the doors to get into a church where people are living out this beloved community. People will do whatever they can to come and be a part because there's something inside of us that God has put there that can only be met when we are living in that kind of mutuality in our existence. And this is what Dr. King called us to do. I want to close with a story. You always hear that, right? I really mean it. I don't think I've ever preached this long. It's only because you keep egging me on. It's going to get real quiet now. It's about uh, Tony Campolo. And uh, he is someone that was a great influence on my life when I was young. And and I had a youth minister that uh, exposed me to a lot of different things about the world and and about uh, some, some radical movements that were going on. And uh, Tony Campolo uh, writes in his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, which I think is a great way to describe the Kingdom of God. But he went to Hawaii a few years ago to a conference to speak there. And the way he tells it is that he got in about three in the morning and his internal clock was all messed up and he couldn't sleep. So he was wide awake and he started to get really hungry. And, uh, you know, stomach was growling like yours is right now. And so he gets up and he starts prowling the streets to look for a place to go. And he can't find anything that's open there in Honolulu. And as he he finally walks down this alley, he sees there's this dive that's opened, you know, just off in the the, uh, darkness of the alley. He goes in, he sits down at the counter. uh, He he says, there's a a big fat guy back there. You know, like in every dive, right? That's back there at the counter because they make the best food, right? They They know what they're doing. He comes over and he asks, what do you want? Tony is not so hungry anymore after eyeing him and then eyeing some donuts under a plastic cover. He says, I'll have a donut and black coffee. As he sits there munching on his donut and sipping his coffee at 3.30 in the morning, in walk eight or nine provocative, loud prostitutes just finished with their night's work. They plop down at the counter and Tony finds himself uncomfortably surrounded by this group of smoking, swearing hookers. He gulps his coffee, planning to make a getaway. Then the woman next to him says to her friend, you know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? I mean, really, what do you want from me? You want me to get a cake and sing happy birthday to you? The first woman says, oh, come on. Why do you have to be so mean? Why do you have to put me down? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party. Not my whole life. Why should I have one now? Well, when Tony Campolo heard that, 
He said he made a decision. He sat and waited until the woman left, and then he asked the guy at the counter, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. Well, the one right next to me, he asked, she comes in every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. Yeah, she sits here every night. She's been coming in here for years. Why why do you want to know? Because she just said that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you think? Do you think we could maybe throw a little birthday party for her right here in the diner? A cute kind of smile crept over the man's chubby cheeks. That's great, he says. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I like it. He turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife, Hey, come on out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday, and he wants to throw a party for her right here. His wife comes out. That's terrific, she says. You know, Agnes, she's really nice. She's always trying to help other people, and nobody does anything nice for her. So they make their plans. Tony says he'll be back at 2.30 in the next morning with some decorations. And the man, whose name turns out to be Harry, behind the counter, he says he'll make a cake. At 2.30 the next morning, Tony is back. He has crepe paper and other decorations and a sign made of big pieces of cardboard that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. They decorate the place from one end to the other and get it looking great. Harry had gotten the word out on the streets about the party, and by 3.15, it seemed that every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. He says there were hookers wall to wall. No further description needed. At 3.30 on the dot, the door swings open, and in walks Agnes and her friend. Tony has everybody ready. They all shout and scream, Happy Birthday, Agnes! Agnes is absolutely flabbergasted. She's stunned. Her mouth falls open. Her knees started to buckle and she almost falls over. And when the birthday cake with all the candles is carried out, that's when she totally loses it. Now she's sobbing and crying. And Harry, who's not used to seeing a prostitute cry, gruffly mumbles, Blow out the candles, Agnes. Cut the cake. So she pulls herself together, blows them out, Everyone cheers and yells, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. So she begins to do that. She looks down at the cake and without taking her eyes off of it, slowly and softly says, look, Harry, is it all right with you? I mean, if I don't, I mean, what I want to ask is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry doesn't know what to say, so he shrugs and says, sure. It's what you want to do. Keep the cake. Take it home if you want. Oh, could I? She asks, looking at Tony. She says, I live just down the street, a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home. Is that okay? I'll be right back. Honest. She gets off her stool, picks up the cake, carries it high in front of her like it was the Holy Grail. Everybody watches in stunned silence. And when the door closes behind her, nobody seems to know what to do. They look at each other. They look at Tony. So Tony gets up on a chair and he says, What do you say we have prayer together? And there they are in a hole in the wall, greasy spoon, half the prostitutes in Honolulu at 3.30 a.m. listening to Tony Campolo as he prays for Agnes, for her life, for her health, and her salvation. Tony recalls, I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When he's finished, Harry leans over and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he says, hey, You never told me you was a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? 
In one of those moments when just the right words came, Tony answers him quietly. I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry thinks for a moment and in a mocking way says, no you don't. There ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. Yep, I'd join a church like that. There is a church like that, isn't there? Isn't that the church that Jesus started? Isn't that the church that God intends us to be? Isn't that the dream that Dr. King had for our world? That's the kind of church the world needs to see. Let us take that dream. Let us devote ourselves to daily discipline, to carrying that dream out. And as we do, we will see people wanting to join in with us. Let us go in the way that God has given us through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.